Hey everyone, Zach here. Uh, wouldn't you know it, there is a few little audio issues with this one. Clean it up best we can, I think it's still perfectly listenable, but if you hear some weird echoes, that's what you're hearing. Hey guys, this is Leah Williams. I did do quite a bit of cussing in this episode, I'm really sorry about that, so just, you know, heads up about that, that cussing. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Hi. Hey. Oh man, it's a scorcher out there. Man, it's a hot one. Like seven <laughs> inches from the midday sun. Whew. Jeez Louise. You know what? We've got a very smooth guest here who's going to help us get through this uh, this real uh, inferno of a time. Uh, you may know her from books such as Gwenpool Strikes Back or Extremists or eh, some other stuff. Uh, there's, there's a lot of it. It's Leah Williams. She's been on the show a bunch. Hi, Leah! Hi! <laughs> I, fig- I, figure, I figure someone's listening to this show. They have a decent understanding of your body of work at this point. Um, I gotta assume. I yeah. Well, I think for your listeners, it's fair to say because I I really love that we have this annual tradition now where I like check in with you guys each year at at the different stages of my comics career, <laughs> and we've done this like every year so far yeah see we're I'm, i was looking at the stats on this uh the first time we had you on it was your first x-men backup i think your second published marvel comic the excalibur then, reunion then we had a mini series right before extremists yeah right yeah. before extremists and that was this my first is, mini series this is an ongoing and it's my very first ongoing so i think next year if the trajectory works you're going to be what, hosting a line-wide event or something? <laughs> Civil War 3 with Leo Williams, I think. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, <laughs> I, I would only want to do, like, tarot and swords again is the thing. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to the part where you guys said, hey, X-Men fans know too much. Let's throw some goth stuff at them and they'll be very confused. <laughs> and you were right, and that's really annoying. You have made... You have made the sale of tarot manuals go up among the, like, 30-year-old white dude crowd by, like, 500%. Oh, it's definitely Teeny that we can credit for that. Um, That's Teeny Howard, writer of Excalibur. Mm-hmm. And she's also uh, a co-architect of the Ten of Swords event along with Jonathan Hickman. Now that, we're going to get to Ten of Swords, because I'm very excited about that. There's so many swords, ten of them, in fact, and possibly <laughs> more from the other island. We don't know. We do know there's a crocodile who we all love now. And I <laughs> I know this is a spoiler, Leah, and I know you have to keep your mouth shut, but the crocodile's dead in like two pages, isn't he? He's just, he's not going to make it. I'm very scared. I don't believe that. I'm very scared for Porg. 
Oh, don't it's worry not... about your boy. <laughs> oh, that's that's the most reassuring thing that anyone will get from this episode. Um, <laughs> but we did we did want to pull this back. So to start, you know, this is your first big ongoing in the X Men universe. Uh, so how'd that happen? How did Leah Williams end up on X Factor? How did this book get birthed? I, I think it's actually a pretty boring story the way that jonathan explained it to me and and vita ayala because we're like the de facto wave two of writers who came in a bit later um is you know when when hickman first started working with jordan d white senior x-men editor and marvel to overhaul the x-men line one of the first things he did was like, okay, so who's like your, who's in your stable of talent right now? Who can I tap for this? Who you got? And Jordan was like, okay, here are, you know, the available writers who are doing some X work. Here's some of their stuff. Um, blah, blah, blah. And then they kind of, like mix and matched based on the the books that they saw a clear need for in the line to make it cohesive um, and and comprehensive as a whole in fleshing out the world building of Krakoa and the new status quo. Uh, and there's also, you know, the way Teeny ended up with Excalibur, which is one of my very favorite stories is she heard John's plans and, you know, like internalized it overnight and really thought about it and then came back the next day. This would have been at the Marvel retreat a couple years ago, I guess. She came back the next day with this absolutely baller pitch about mutant magic and the way that I, I wasn't there, but the way that I imagine it is she finished like talking about this and saying, you know, this is going to be the first time that mutants will be able to develop, not just their culture as a whole free of oppression, but also their form of magic. It's going to be different. And like, I imagine she gets done explaining it. And then there's just silence where people are like, holy shit, she's amazing. <laughs> um, and then John looked at her and he was like, well, you know what that is, right? That's Excalibur. And of course he's right. It is Excalibur. Um, so for me, it was more like, we need someone to write X Factor. <laughs> and I was like, are you joking? <laughs> who, who turned it down first? Like, how far did you have to go down your list to get to me? Um, and it took three weeks for it to feel real. Now, that I think that's interesting. So, you know, this is, this is X Factor, but it's a different cast. It's a different kind of vibe. It's still got some of the investigation still have a little bit more of the bureaucracy side of thing that you got from like the David runs and all of that. So I'm curious how much of X factor was, you know, there when you took on the book, did they just say, Hey, we need X factor. That's the title of it. Figure it out. Was there more elements that were involved in it? And then as kind of a secondary question on that, 
what what were those essentials of X Factor that you felt had to be there for this to be a capital X, capital F X Factor book? So for me, so for me um, um, okay, let me backtrack. The What they came to me with was this is the team that's uh, going to be in charge of tracking down um, missing mutants and like solving murders and that kind of thing. So they don't prosecute, but uh, they do go looking for missing mutants because if, and, and you saw this in the first issue. So like, spoiler alert, but uh, yeah, we're not just as a heads up guys, we're not going to get like deep into spoilers for the first issue, which comes out Wednesday, but we're going to talk about the book. So if you want to go in like blind, blind, maybe hit that pause button right now and come back to us on Wednesday at 8 a.m. I assume you're going to wake up and read it first thing in the morning and then really need someone to talk about it with, and we can provide that service to you. <laughs> so thank you for that disclaimer. Um, one of the things that we establish is that X Factor will go looking for mutants when Cerebro hasn't been able to pull a backup from them for a certain amount of time. Uh, if they end up on like a missing persons list, that's when it gets flagged for X factors investigation. Um, so the concept that was brought to me was this is the team in charge of missing persons and that's it. Like solving murders and that kind of thing. And in my like idea generation phase, when I was really starting to develop the concept for it further, I was like, it makes sense to me that these guys would work really closely with the five, because after all, aren't they providing proof of death in order to initiate resurrection? So like, that's the bureaucracy of it. There's, there's no higher authority that they're answering to. Um, it's really what they're doing is more like troubleshooting the resurrection process. Um, and, you know, making sure that we have confirmation of death before we can initiate somebody's resurrection procedure, obviously, so that a bunch of clones don't end up running around <laughs> Krakoa, that kind of thing. When have clones, when have clones ever caused the X-Men any problems ever? <laughs> I can't imagine how that might not be an issue longer down the line but <laughs> please continue <laughs> well in my first few passes at uh the the pitch for this i i immediately made a beeline for the same sort of like stress testing of this world that i did with extremists in age of x-man mm. which mm -hmm. is i immediately ran for the glaring problems that i saw like this is a huge issue, this, this world that you've developed. <laughs> um, it erases sexuality, including queerness. Like, that's, that's something that I want to explore because I see it as a problem. When you, when you were doing extremists. Right. So I, I did the same thing here in terms of, like, I made a beeline for what I considered to be the potential pitfalls of resurrection of, like, well, what about 
accidental clones and what about blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff and what I ended up developing in instead of doing that because I I really love Krakoa as a new status quo for mutants I believe in what we're doing I don't want to break the toys um, I want to show it working so what I did instead was make a future forward document called the resurrection protocol and this is the resurrection bible from many many years into the future of Krakoan culture and the five and everything that they've learned I started with that and my first 30 issues are reverse engineered from each of these rules in the resurrection protocol. Okay. That is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, so this is, this is a promise that Leah Williams book is not getting canceled until at least issue 31. Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm definitely like hedging my bets here. I know I'm kind of a newer writer and an unknown variable. So I'm coming at this with like, all right, well, I'm giving you guys Krakoan Endgame starting in issue one, (laughs) but like, that's where the breadcrumb trail begins uh but you got to keep reading to find out what it is i think one of the things that um i've been curious about especially just since day one of house of x is you know how much of the world's quote-unquote bible you know has been written so it's really interesting to hear me say that like despite the fact that the idea of resurrection wasn't your idea that you like I've got to ask, like, how long is this document with the rules of the resurrection protocols? Um, and, and is it, it a collaborative process or is it something that you're just going in and saying, this is what we're doing. Everybody's got to follow my rules. Well, spoilers, spoilers. Isn't it in the first issue? It is. It's it's the data pages printed in the back, but they're heavily oh, okay. Okay. redacted and blacked out. So you can't. I was, I was meaning to talk to you about that. I, I thought something was wrong with my copy. Something was up with it. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's part of the game. Um, as we go through the as we go through the narrative of X Factor and reveal the issues they encounter that initiate the establishment of these individual rules, we unredact rule by rule and show you how they're constructed. Um, So what was the question that I was just asked? Oh, about resurrection Mm -hmm. and, and the establishment of the protocol. Okay. So it is a really collaborative process overall. And this is kind of a huge part of the joy of working in the X office right now with this group of people is that we do collaborate really well together. It's Mm -hmm. a very organic process. We love to brainstorm together and have a lot of fun sharing ideas and that kind of thing. So when I started, because I did, you know, sort of covetously take over resurrection in my book, (laughs) um, I thought it was something that, would make X Factor really stand apart, but also is kind of an intuitive inclusion into what we're already doing. Um, I I definitely wanted to work closely with everybody in terms of like, are we all on board with uh, 
this as the, you know, resurrection Bible. These are our official protocols moving forward that we're going to abide by. Um, and went through a couple passes based off of Hickman's notes on it, because, you know, this is his world. This is his baby that we're all coming into. So he has more of an aerial view than we do. Um, he really helped me a lot with thinking of more of the rules than I had before. Um, and once I went through, I'd say, I think I'm on my th like third and a half draft of the resurrection protocols now. <laughs> um, but the coolest thing about it is that these are the rules where, you know, they're starting out redacted, they're blacked out. And as we encounter problems um, that would facilitate the formation of these rules, we reveal them, but it doesn't just have to happen in X Factor. So <clears throat> I, I love being able to, when somebody in their books, they need some kind of like, you know, resurrection MacGuffin for whatever they're trying <laughs> to make happen. It's like, here is this very convenient document where you can look at these rules and imagine what the problem could have been to get there. And if that fits with what you're doing, then it helps me out because I get to unredact more of these rules. Oh, I love that. That's, that's um, fascinating. Yeah. And I, I like the idea that, um, you know, this, you, you mentioned, you know, it's Hickman's world or whatever, but it really, because of the collaboration doesn't necessarily feel like one person's sandbox. Um, and I think a, a really good example of that is the fact that you're, you're really the first time that we're getting behind the scenes access to the five, um, you know, we've the five, seen for the people five who and, don't know, are the yeah. resurrection machine uh, that yes. gold, gold balls, also now known as egg. I was going to say, it's egg now. <laughs> it's, for, you know, it's for the SEO, for the people who haven't been reading it. He was gold balls. He wanted a new change because they aren't balls. They're eggs. They're eggs. Uh, they're eggs. They're eggs. It's all eggs. X-Men's just eggs but, and swords. That's all it is now. Yeah. Just eggs but, and swords. <laughs> But this is a real chance for us to actually like hear them talk, hear them interact, like have have them on a break, um, talk about some of the problems that they're having with resurrecting people, const resurrecting mutants constantly. Um, you know, what's your approach to the five in terms of their part in your story? Um, because they're not technically the main cast, but I assume they are going to factor in, uh, no pun intended, very very uh, prominently they do yeah they're <clears throat> so ten of swords um x-factor issue four which is ten of swords chapter two is uh, a very five centric issue and you know you can see them right on the cover so you know what you're getting but they're also uh heavily featured in every single issue because they are part of the same uh office, I guess we would call this the work that they're doing with resurrection happens so closely intertwined with, um, 
X Factor Investigations, which is like the field team uh, Mm -hmm. that we do see a lot of them. Um, And this was a huge like get for me as a writer and an architect of this book, because this was was the first big change to the base concept that I suggested um, outside of the parameters of like X Factor missing mutants that kind of thing i was like Mm -hmm. well i would also love to be the resurrection book and focus time on the five and that came out of my own fascination with the five everything that's been established about their work dynamic and how it's kind of a holistic process where they make each other stronger um i i was really fascinated with that and also i have the boon of being able to like read the ex Twitter uh, reactions to everything for half a year before starting work on this. So I could see where people had a lot of questions and a lot of fascination with the five that I knew wasn't getting coverage elsewhere. Um, so I was really, really excited to, to be given permission to kind of fold them into what we're doing. Have there been have there been any questions that you've seen pop up about the five that have, you know, made you think or made you be like, hmm, I, I think people might be mistaken about this or be thinking the wrong way about stuff. Yeah, actually. And it well, it's not so much about the five, but about uh the crucible and I would say uh. mutants, um, Who, who we would look at as having a disability uh, entering the crucible to come back with a different physicality, a different body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll use Hellion as an example. Um, Hellion don't got no hands anymore. Right. Yeah. So I get a lot of questions about if Hellion is going to enter the crucible um, to fix his hands And my response to that is always like, oh, man, there are absolutely people with no hands reading you ask me this right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you think it makes them feel? And um, I I think that X-Men more or less works better as a a disability metaphor than it does a civil rights metaphor because we're talking about people being othered for something in their physicality, but it, and they, they experience a really like ingrained and very common way of, of experiencing prejudice that is so different from racism or homophobia. It is, these things cannot be equated in my mind um, because there are also gay mutants and black mutants who are experiencing these other axes of oppression at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's appropriate to look at like WizKid, for example, and be like, okay, enter the fucking crucible fight apocalypse so that you can be reborn as somebody who doesn't have to be in a wheelchair. You know, that's horrific. 
you know? That that is. You also did just put into my mind the concept of Wiz Kid from <laughs> from 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 Inferno. I love Wiz Kid. Going into the Crucible, <laughs> and that's simultaneously entertaining and horrifying. It's horrifying. And one of my favorite things about Krakoa, though, is that it does not ask this of mutants. It does not look at Hellion and say, you are disabled because you have prosthetic hands. It, it instead asks, how can I adapt? Mm. Like, this is a land, this is a society that adapts to an individual instead of asking an individual to assimilate. And that's what equality is. Equality is not assimilation. Um, so I, I do, I, I think that it, it's, it's definitely a case by case basis. Um, people have asked about, you know, no girl getting resurrected oh, yeah. with uh, her own physicality. And of course we've already like seen versions of her in the future where she has this badass techno organic sexy plant body, <laughs> but we don't know how she gets it. Um, so, you know, like that's already a done deal. Uh, we know that is an inevitability at some point, but for characters like, like Wizkid or Silhouette or Hellion, I, I think it's much, much more interesting and, and wholesome to show the way that Krakoa just effortlessly adapts to their needs that's that that's a that's a perspective i haven't uh necessarily heard before but i really like it there's a lot there to chew on well my thing is like okay so i this is like political praxis for me i hated jk rowling before she was this awful and it's because years and years ago when she was asked about the possibility of um autistic wizards or wizards with disabilities her answer was like oh no they just get cured oh. <laughs> and like i that is horrific to me because it means that autistic children and children with disabilities who are reading this interview with her right now what they're taking away from that is oh i can't be magic hmm. and i hate it i hate that with every fiber of my being i would never want to make a reader feel that way. So I'm more interesting in showing like you, you do not need to change who you are to live in Krakoa. That's not what this place is. I love that there's the basic building blocks in all of this between the resurrection protocols, between, um, you know, the, the crucible. And I'm sure Hickman's going to be exploring this idea of Nightcrawler's religion. Like there's all these building blocks to kind of play around with. Um, I, I do want to say though, that in reading the first issue of X factor, um, it's still very much a Leah Williams, David Baldion book. And <laughs> it has a really great sense of humor about it. Like it has jokes. Um, and I'm I just curious. several times. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like out loud that laugh. Not like, oh, that was funny. Yeah. It's a genuinely funny book. Um, 
you know, I, I think anybody who read uh, the Gwenpool Strikes Again mini, which was absolutely hilarious, would agree that you absolutely have that voice going. Um, do you feel pressure to have like some humor in your book or, or is that just a natural extension of, of your own style? I, I would say it's a natural extension of the tone of the book. I, I think that I am working with a cast that is very quirky and, and very traumatized. Most of these people have a lot of trauma in their past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think that they deal with it in different ways. Um, and that cast, by the way, for people who don't know, is Rachel Summers slash Grace slash whatever last name she's going by right now. That's her choice. Uh, Polaris, iBoy is there, Dakan is there, uh, who else? Prodigy's there. North Star. North, North Star. Star. North Star's there. Uh, Rachel has and a Aurora seems like she's coming soon. Yes. yes. <laughs> Zach, you forgot about Amazing Baby. <laughs> I did forget about Amazing <laughs> Baby, which is a crime. Uh, I forgot about Amazing Baby. Amazing yes. Baby, Amazing who baby. is uh, Rachel's emotional support. Warwolf. Warwolf. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Definite, definitely someone she's, one of her gal pals definitely gave her a pet. And she loves it very dearly. Yes. Gal pal. <laughs> listen, listen, we are not putting undue pressure on our guests to deal with situations that Marvel has to deal with. Fair, fair. Um, we all know. We all know that's fine. And Leah does not need to comment on that. No, no. I mean, I've tweeted about how I think Rachel is like a stoner, butch, lesbian. No, sorry, soft, butch, lesbian. And I'm valid. Yeah, no one's disagreeing with that, except for, like, I don't know, the legal department at Marvel. I I have, yeah, uh... In, in one of my earliest rejected drafts, I, I definitely tried to have Rachel growing for Cohen weed. I thought it was a very <laughs> natural thing for her to do there. And I can't. Um, for the children. Of course. You know how there was the, the survival guide to uh, the, the X-Mansion? Uh, years ago, back in the 90s. It'd be really great if we could get like a spiral bound field guide to Krakoa, <laughs> like with all the weird plants that taste like root beer or, right? Because they keep mentioning all these things. Anyway, sorry, that was an aside. Um, or like or like, or like, like a, a bagel tree, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, really, it's like you can ask this land for anything and it delivers. Um, so there's no... There's no currency. Everything is free. Uh, all the clothing, the fabulous clothing that people are wearing, uh, made out of Krakoan fibers. There's no hunger or starvation. Um, so it it extends as far as your imagination can in terms of what you you ask. Krakoa to hopefully bestow on you such as a bagel plant <laughs> it's the chocolate factory you know um with hopefully less accidental deaths 
Listen, they can reverse the accidental deaths. If someone That's really true. makes you mad, you can shoot them in the face and say, sorry, empath kind of pissed me off. We'll, we'll get him later. Um, so I feel like the uh, you working with uh, David Baldion again, it just feels like a match made in heaven. Um, his style... I would describe as like just cartoony enough to sell a lot of the humorous stuff that you do, but it's also realistic enough that there are some darker elements. I mean, obviously we're kind of, this is also kind of a murder mystery book. Um, it feels like, um, what's your working relationship with him? Like, uh, in terms of creating the finished product here. I absolutely adore working with David. There is nobody who I would have felt more, confident and excited going into X Factor with other than David, because we had just come out of Gwenpool Strikes Back, um, which was a really brutal creative boot camp um, because of the lack of a fourth wall. So it, it absolutely was super difficult for David and I to systematically break down all of our ingrained rules about what we know comics are and you know the reason that fourth wall exists in order to do something truly creative and inventive so now we're coming into x factor where that fourth wall (laughs) is back in place but we've also like learned a lot of new things about storytelling and what we can do and we collaborate really closely um, I, I adore working with David. I think he's brilliant. And there will be times when I'm like up late noodling on a script and I'll see that he's up late working on layouts or something. So I'll message him just to like ask for his thoughts on something that I'm doing. And, um, it, it comes from a place of knowing that he and I are so locked step in terms of our shared vision for the book that we we move in the same direction without consulting each other and it's always the correct one um and and sometimes it's a matter of of his direction is just better than mine (laughs) but it's still the same book you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i i love getting his ideas uh and I'm getting his feedback on stuff and sort of tailoring what I'm doing in a script to to his thoughts on it um, before I turn something in. Yeah, I'm so now, just flipping through it. I, I'm so impressed by like how many pages kind of have these amazing borderless, like full bleed backgrounds. And then he's he's weaving the, the individual panels over it. And then that's I, something I that I would love to brag about David doing because it's an approach um, he brought to this book uh, and to world building and Krakoa in general. What he deliberately wanted to do was bring a lot of like prospect and and openness to Krakoa because, uh, you know, at the time that he was drawing this, we hadn't gotten to see a lot of Krakoa yet through the other books or have it be as explored as like a wild open land. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's 
the openness in these panels and, and those big blue skies and how some of the panels feel like a landscape painting. That was something he really deliberately wanted to play with in terms of the perspective. And I think it's, it's brilliant. Really cool. It's super yeah, it's effective. Really cool. Now, you, you've mentioned a lot about the collaboration uh, between you and David and even in this interview with you and the rest of the writers in the uh, X office. Uh, how has that, because to me, it's a very unique thing, the level of collaboration line-wide that you guys are doing. So how has that impacted your writing in this book? I think that it makes everything stronger as a whole because, you know, Adam, you used the word sandbox before. It doesn't just mm -hmm. feel like we're working out of John's sandbox. Um, and that's the same way that I would state it. It's that we're all playing in the same sandbox and sharing each other's toys. Um, yeah. So it, it makes for something strong line wide because we have you know, the same locations like the point in X-Force or the Healing Gardens, which is Krakoa's hospital, we're developing this world together and um, establishing, you know, what the standardized like references are for these things moving forward. And I think that it makes Krakoa as a habitat feel all the more real because you can recognize the same places across the different books. Um, and I also think that it, it adds just a really richness to the storytelling coming out of this world. The fact that we are, you know, there are a lot of X books, but we don't expect people to be like buying and reading them all. We, we hope people will just, you know, read what they want and what they enjoy. And that's why all the books are so different. They're uh, placed deliberately in, in positions of storytelling to offer a unique perspective of, of life in Krakoa. Now with that collaboration and with that uh, comes crossovers, which we're about to enter Ten of Swords, the crossover where there's Ten Swords and the X-Men have them. Uh, you're the <laughs> second book in this, in what, 22 chapters? I sure am. Hey, what's that like? That a lot of pressure, Leah? You got a lot of pressure tying in issue four of your run to the second issue of a 22 to 24 and a half issue massive crossover extravaganza? Question mark? Literally the most professional pressure I have ever experienced in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's not just because of, you know, batting second to motherfucking Jonathan Hickman. Um, <laughs> but because this crossover event is, is like the first big industry crossover coming out of the pandemic. Mm. Um, so comic shops are starting to reopen in some places where it's safe. And, you know, this is something that, they're looking at in, in terms of hopefully being pretty rejuvenating for comic shops uh, that have really been hit hard by the pandemic and, and diamond shutting down. Um, yeah. So it's enormous amount of pressure. Uh, I, 
I had to like anesthetize myself to it at some point and just accept that, you know, Hickman is not going to let us do anything subpar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, so you feel like all of this is getting dialed up big time. I mean, we went from this being a, a, a almost like half as long to like something extraordinarily massive now, right? Yeah. And I think also it had to do with um, fan response. Yeah. Because yeah. like just from the mention of, you know, it's about swords and people were like, <laughs> dope. <laughs> We love it. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with it, too. Like, oh, okay, so people like this. Um, The moment, I tell you, the moment. Adam, were you there when I got the email about the the swords? Yeah. We stopped in the middle of the floor of C2E2, like right by the bathrooms, (laughs) and had all of us huddle around my phone to look at that very pretty Mark Brooks picture and said, they're doing swords? Why are they doing swords? <laughs> this is great. We should have more swords. Because yeah. swords are cool. They are cool. And what's cooler <laughs> than, like, swords? More swords. Everybody gets a sword. Everybody gets a sword. Yeah, that's really... Well, 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 well not everybody. Not everybody. If- not everybody. iBoy does not appear to get a sword, even though Mark Brooks drew him with a very good sword with so many eyeballs yeah, on sword. it. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of red herring swords. In, in that illustration. <laughs> um, maybe sword. one day the eye, eye boy can get the, the eye sword. Not an eye sore, an eye sword. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Um, but it got bigger. Like the event, the event got bigger. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you know how Taco Bell has like food scientists that engineers... <laughs> No, this is this is a really relevant metaphor. I know this is this not this is not where I thought you were going with this. Keep going. Okay, so you know how Taco Bell has those food scientists that will literally like engineer their food to be addictive and tasty. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's what Ten of Swords is. Yes. It is something that it is a crossover <laughs> event that has been meticulously crafted and engineered to be just fucking badass it's like the coolest shit you can possibly imagine and i mean there's this one new relationship dynamic that the marvel millennials have been memeing the ever-loving fuck out of for like six months now we're obsessed with it and the day that these issues start to hit the stands, we will unleash just a wrath of memes upon yes. the internet because we've been waiting <laughs> to share this obsession with readers. Yes. I love that so many of the writers are little gremlins like the rest of us. Oh my God. <laughs> it's yes. so refreshing. Oh. Um, Speaking of, uh, you know, fans loving characters, um, I just wanted to ask about a couple of characters in particular who are appearing in your book. Um, One of the characters who I was most surprised by is one that I have never really been able to to like. In fact, I I think I've said on this show before that I generally hate Dakin. Um, 
X Factor One, he's like absolutely delightful, and I can't wait to read more. Um, he's good what, actually, and I'm yeah. so mad that I don't hate him anymore. <laughs> like, what is your <laughs> approach to him, and and like, how do you make him just this really wonderful character that I want to spend more time with? So he's a really like complex and layered character, like a lot of my cast, where they've been depicted differently across different runs, which kind of turns them into a patchwork quilt of mm-hmm. different traits. Yeah. But for my purposes, I really do like folding it all into um, kind of a deep well of, of you know, nuanced character decisions and, and that kind of thing. And talking to somebody who has experienced a lot of growth in, in recent continuity, um, he is in a completely different place in his life now than he was in his origins or even, you know, seven years after that. Um, and I'm really interested in developing this kind of newer, softer side of him because <laughs> he is in the same boat with the rest of my cast where he has a hugely traumatic upbringing and horrific history um but you know like i've said before i really believe in krakoa and and what we're doing and kind of the holistic adaptive nature of it and i i'm not interested in like rehashing a lot of their trauma or story mining um from that so much as showing them moving forward together and and healing uh, and working through these things because I think that it opens up the potential for some really extraordinary uh, progressions of their power sets as well. And, mm. and I think that empowerment is a huge thing that factors into it. So for Dawkins specifically, the way that it plays out with him is he's experimenting with things like kindness right now (laughs) and he's not the best at it (laughs) no no but he's trying (laughs) well you you just mentioned power sets um i i was very uh struck by the fact that you went back to a power that rachel had that is not used very commonly um, and then made a joke about it so that yeah. everyone knew that, like, yes, I know, no, she doesn't normally do this because everyone forgets <laughs> about it. I have the most, like, OPS cast. They're all way too overpowered. But Rachel is, like, by far the most incriminatingly overpowered character on Oh, my yeah. Cast. Yeah. She's very good at things. She's she's very good at things. Uh, And she also has a chrono skimming ability that I think is particularly useful in an investigative scenario. And we do see her use this several times throughout uh, the first arc. It's it's an established aspect of her kind of investigative, uh, you know, utility. Mm-hmm. 
I, I do appreciate that despite her being overpowered, um, she's kind of being written as very subdued almost and like kind of just this calm person who's tagging along <laughs> sort of like is not leading the team. Yeah. And that was definitely a deliberate decision um, because I, with her and with Polaris, you know, mm -hmm. obviously they both have leadership potential and we've seen them um, act as leaders before, but at the same time, there's a lot of character work that needs to be done with them and with Aurora yeah. as well. Uh, and I want to free that bandwidth so that they can relax and focus on themselves and living well because it, it needs doing. They have never really had the opportunity to flourish like that. And that's why, you know, I didn't tap them for X Factor leaders, but instead went with North Star, who has never led, but is absolutely primed for this <laughs> right now coming out of uh, extremists, especially. Yeah, the reluctant, uh, the leader. Speaking right. of a character who uh, has only really gotten to flourish a little bit more recently under your uh, your pen. How good does it feel to write Fred Dukes again? Um, should we assume that he will be a recurring character? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So he is the owner operator bartender of the Green Lagoon. That's his <laughs> joint. And this is Krakoa's Tiki Bar. Um, so it's a really central location that appears in everyone's books almost. Um, and I had Freddie, like, I, I had him in mind for X Factor stories. I knew what I wanted to do with him. Um, but then when Ben Percy and Josh Kassara were working on X-Force issue nine, I want to say, Josh asked if they could be responsible for coming up with uh, Krakoa's first bar and if it could be a tiki bar. And then it was uh, Ben's idea to have Freddie be the bartender. Yes. And this I really love because it still <laughs> perfectly meshes with what I have planned for Freddie. It, it doesn't work against that, but instead it also elevates him to a position where he's in a centralized location and can appear in other books as well. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a really good storytelling location for him. I love it so much. I've got, I, I am sitting here holding my Josh Kassara, Fred Dukes bartender, uh, Scrabble scorecard. Amazing. Uh, it's so good. It's so good. He doesn't draw the mustache, which I know is in your book and has not been in a, his other couple of appearances. So maybe we should tell Jordan he needs to get that good mustache back all the time. <laughs> oh, uh, man. We, got, we got one more before we get into listener questions, and this will be a very quick one. I'm staring at I'm staring at the other piece of Josh Kassar art that I own. It's also at the Green Lagoon. Uh, Jean Grey is looking over at my my man, uh, my man Japeth uh, Maggot. He's sitting there drinking a good drink with his slug boys. Uh, I, I don't want any spoilers. I don't want anything. Is he doing okay? Is Mag is Maggot all right? Maggot's okay. Okay. 
That's all I needed to know. That's all I needed. <laughs> I just, I just, I want to know. I want to know if he's all right. Like, he doesn't need to star in anything. He doesn't. He doesn't need like to be the most important of the X Men. I just want to know that in this new world order, Maggot's doing okay. But I'm not the only one with questions. Uh, we have listeners uh, who asked a bunch of questions of Lear, and we're not getting to like even half of them because there's so many. Uh, but Leah's very popular on the Twitters, if you haven't noticed. Uh, Leah, have you noticed you're very popular on the Twitters? No. No. I don't. Uh, you should, you <laughs> I don't think that's a real thing. That. I think popularity is just a government conspiracy. I don't. <laughs> right, right, right. Much like Tom King's comic career. But we need to. Uh, <laughs> It's a psyop. I thought I thought I could get through that without without cracking, and I couldn't. Uh, TD Mollusk at Syrup Barang Two on Twitter asks: Battle of the Atom is well known for its quality ASMR content. So, bottle check. What you drinking? I just drank, and this is going to be the answer to Dan's question as well. But in the course of sitting here, I drank. 24 ounces of a Wawa watermelon Red Bull slushy. Yeah. So I'm never <laughs> sleeping again, probably. Um, it, wow, it tasted wow. like Sour Patch Kids. That's a lot. That sounds terrible. That sounds like so much sugar. Adam, what you drinking? What you drinking right now? Adam? Oh, I'm just drinking some iced tea to hydrate because it's just so hot outside. My goodness. It is. It is hot outside. And guys, I don't know if this got through on post, but if you hear a fan, it's because some of us uh, are very hot and we're dealing with that in our own ways. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I am actually not drinking any alcohol for July, which is not a moral decision. It's a I needed to lose some weight, and this seemed like it worked for Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy, so maybe if I do that, it'll work. We'll see what happens. It's not but a bad I do have, it's, it's not, except for that now I have to start drinking bubbly, sparkling water lime. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, it's fine, because it's like water, but cold. Yeah. Uh, now, Rob or Rob on Twitter... <laughs> Robert Secundus does asks the detectives of X Factor don't seem to be cops, but they aren't exactly traditional private investigators either. How would you describe their relationship with the state, uh, in this case being the Krakoan government or the Quiet Council? And do you see anything in this series thematically in conversation with extremists? Extremists. Why did I say it bad? I don't know. So... I really like this question a lot um, because I appreciate the chance for disambiguation. Disambiguation. Yeah, I said it right. Yeah, yeah you, you're, you're better at pronouncing things. Than me. Sometimes I say words aloud with confidence that I've only ever seen in print. So, I, like, I definitely mispronounce stuff a lot of the time, but I say it with such conviction that people never correct me. Um, right, right, right. So, I... What's really different about X Factor in comparison to extremists is they're more like it than anything else. Mm. Um, and also Krakoa is not a formalized state. It is a nation. It is 
a group of people with with shared values. There is a a geist, you know, in in terms of like the Volksgeist, uh, the Hegelian philosophical definition of like a group of people with shared behaviors and traits and values. Um, but they're not a state like the United States is, um, a cohesive entity. And that kind of power structure doesn't really exist, uh, the same way in Krakoa. There is not an official hierarchy. It's, it's more of like a lateral power system, um, where we do have like the quiet council there to keep people in check, but there's no cops. Um, Krakoa is, is going to scare the wrong people, but it's what I love most about it. Krakoa is a lovely communist society and <laughs> it works very well. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm excited and I like it. I like that this island is good, actually. Yeah, it is. And even if it has to I eat mean, a little bit of everybody all the time. <laughs> but just like psychically and and clone bodies. <laughs> they, they, do throw, they do throw a few clone bodies in the pit every once in a while. So he stays fed. But yes, it's as a treat. I mean, that's what Just the five little, is little. for. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Krakoa can have a little Xavierized treat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this, a lot of these organizations oh. like X Factor, um, the X Men, New Mutants. These are these are organizations that work in community building. They they mm. work for the community in like a neighborly capacity. They're not policing each other or anything like that. I like it. Uh, easy lost PKM trainer. I assume Pikmin, uh, like Olimar from uh, the Nintendo series at Asimov Fangirl asks, howdy for X plot reasons, the X-Men have to form a team to produce a comic OGM floppies, web comics, etc. Which members would you choose for the task and what are their jobs? Writer, penciler, inker, editor, etc. Well, I'm, I'm going with the, the X-Men definition, meaning mutants. So I'm going to say sure. right. Prodigy could do pencils and inks just from like, you know, walking around the bullpen at Marvel <laughs> HQ. He'd be able to absorb these abilities. Um, and I think, I don't know who I'd tap to write it. I mean, we know Pyro has written steamy romance novels. Uh, I don't know how well that would translate. Yeah, I I don't either. I, yeah, oh, 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 you know what? You know who's a poet? Maggot. Who's a poet? <laughs> there you go. There you, go. You, 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 you know what audience you're playing towards right now, don't you? <laughs> I Yeah, I think... Um, the writers that I would most want to see write a comic would be Maggot or Fred Dukes. Speaking of Fred Dukes, uh, Brawl or Brawl 2099 at Brawl 2099 does ask, 
What's the most valuable book in Freddie Duke's collection? I think that Freddie probably has a soft spot for collected, vintage collected editions of like the Chronicles of Narnia or Grimm's Fairy Tales or something Aww. like that. I, I think that this would be sort of a secret source of whimsy for him and he'd have eBay alerts on stuff like this. You think Miss? You think Mr. Freddie Dukes is a big fan of Mr. Tumnus? I could see it. I think that would work. Uh, Levi Lavi at Levi P. Tompkins does ask two related questions that I'm going to put together because I think they're good. Uh, given the five will have a presence in this book, will we explore Proteus as a person at all? I don't really think that's ever been done before. So does like Proteus like? Does he chill now? Does he, like, say dude? What's up with Proteus? <laughs> he doesn't say dude. He does in issue one because it's a mistake. The, there's a panel where the tails of two speech balloons are switched. So we've got Proteus saying a gold balls line. And, and gold balls speaking in a very Scottish accent. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes, absolutely. We explore who Proteus is. This is one of the most exciting aspects of being able to take on the five in my book um, was being given the chance to develop him in this capacity when he is fulfilled and he's not having to consume or struggle to survive. He, he can just be and he can thrive and flourish. And I think that it has really beautiful implications for not only his life in Krakoa as an individual, but what that brings to the table with the five kind of writ large with how that affects their developing work ethos. Now, as a follow-up, iBoy really seems like the baby of this team, even compared to Prodigy, who is probably relatively young. This person doesn't know how time works, which that doesn't make sense in Marvel anyway. So we'll take that way off the table. Uh, much of this team doesn't exactly seem nurturing, so who's going to take care of this poor boy? Hey, Leah, who's going to take care of my boy? He, he needs he needs help, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's so soft. He does. He is definitely team baby. Um, <laughs> he He's baby, and he's also the only one of them who doesn't have a significant amount of trauma. I was actually really worried you were going to give him a really sad, traumatic backstory. Like getting uh, killed and then uh, being brought back with inconsistent writing across titles. Listen, that's not the point. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even remember that. No. Nobody does. No one does. <laughs> yeah, that was an accident. Uh, I, I, I think that it... it provides something valuable though to have that difference in his perspective and it's something that the other characters do talk about um first of all they're all protective of him with the exception of like uh Dokken. Dokken is definitely yeah, right, right. <laughs> the rudest to iBoy and it's because Dokken is trypophobia representation. You know, those people who like can't look at lotus pods, lotus seed pods without their skin crawling. Right. Content warnings for pomegranates. Right. 
So that's that's what Dawkins feels every time he looks at Eyeboy. He's like, you were full of holes. You are making my scalp itch. I'm going to be rude to you until you go away. Um, but other than that, Trevor is a very sweet and kind boy who, like, everybody on the team is pretty protective of because they are trying to shield him and keep that intact and it's it's one of my favorite aspects of this team north star is also like kind that. of rude but it's for trevor's own good north star's <laughs> rude to everyone though so that's fair right you can't not hey, that's out of character hey brickheads x does ask assuming gwenpool didn't give jeff to deadpool would gwen and quentin have had shared custody of jeff the land shark after their breakup and how did Jeff take the split? Um, no, because I I have my own cute mascot character. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeff the Landshark is is Kelly Thompson's baby, and and sticking with her. Um, so I I, I unfortunately cannot hypothesize as to where he would have ended up in in Krakoa um could amazing baby shapeshift into looking like Jeff the Landshark oh and, he sure like, could fill that role if you needed it someday amazing baby is going to be uh the size of a cow and <laughs> tele like telepathically communicating with Rachel in short sentences and it's going to take, like, six arcs to get there, but gosh, I can't wait. Oh my god, it's going to be awesome. Very exciting. Very excited for Amazing Baby. Now, this is the last question we have for you from Twitter, so we want to thank everyone who uh, didn't get around to it. Uh, but this is this is a, a question really to understand uh, consistency on things. Uh, Gwenpool asks, if there were two guys on the moon and one of them killed the other with a rock, would that be fucked up or what? um i i maintain that when you nut in space it it push you backwards when you nut in space it push you backwards yes we we all know this that's my official answer that's just physics exactly it's just science (laughs) leah It's always an adventure with you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. It's always great. Uh, Love having you. If people like your particular brand of human, um, where can they find out what your whole deal is? Um, I guess social media, uh, like, like Twitter or, or Instagram. I'm hand ax on Instagram and, uh, my monster is Sheik, C-H-I-C, on Twitter. Um, I, I I would mostly just recommend reading X-Factor, I think. <laughs> Which comes out in two days on Wednesday. And wait, does Empire, um, are you are you writing Empire 2? Or Empire X-Men 2? So I co-wrote that with Jerry Duggan and Ben Percy. I wrote the yeah, last I'll 10 wait. pages of that. It's batshit. I we had a lot of fun <laughs> collaborating on that. Hey, it's 
Alien plants versus mutant zombies versus old ladies. <laughs> and some other surprises that Jerry Duggan threw in for you. Jerry, I swear. I so I the way Jerry. that we, I don't know if it's common knowledge, but the way that we wrote the Empire stuff, the X writers did, is um, like a game of telephone mm-hmm. where it started with Hickman writing like the first batshit 20 pages and then it got passed off to Teeny who then wrote like the end of that issue. And then that got passed off to Jerry who wrote the first 10 pages of issue two. And then that got passed off to Ben who wrote the next 10 pages. Then it got passed off to me. And we all did this um, without telling each other what we were doing. (laughs) Uh, And it means that once you got to the end of the chain with like Vita and Ed, what they were being handed was every X writer like exponentially trying to one up each other and just make <laughs> shit crazier and crazier and messier. So it's insane. It's a lot of fun. And you don't have to read Empire to know what's going on in this. Honestly, guys, this plant aliens. There you go. Sounds awesome. At least for issue one. That's all you got to know is this plant aliens. And they picked a very bad place to land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, you can find us at the normal place, Xavier Files Online. That's where you get all of the latest and greatest of X-Men news, criticism, articles, t- stuff about Sonic the Hedgehog now, I guess. Uh, apparently, we're a Sonic the Hedgehog website now, too, which is so much fun. Um, also, Xavier Files on Twitter. Adam, where can where can people find your twisted brain of humor? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, Zach is at Xavier Files. We're going back to Asgard next week, aren't we, Zach? We are going back to Asgard next week. Uh, we're going to talk about some times when people go to Asgard, but not the good time. Not the my favorite time. We're doing all the other ones now. Uh, one last time, everyone, let's give it a big round of applause for Leah Williams. Go buy her book. There's only two of us who can clap. <laughs> okay. They're clapping at Thanks home. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. Uh, it's great. But until then, guys, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!